We're excited to be starting a new teaching series today as part of a three-part teaching series on the book of Jonah. Um, and our tagline at St. Nick's is in the city for the city. That's our heart. That's where we want to be. And this series is titled that says Jonah in the city for the city. And over the last seven weeks, we've been looking at how do we go? How do we take up Jesus kind of mantle and his mission and his ministry and how do we follow him in that and this series picks up on a big theme of that how do we share our faith with those around us how do we share our story how do we share the life that comes from knowing Jesus and so to do that we'll be looking at two passages from Jonah uh, which I'm just going to read for us now and there comes from two short bits of Jonah Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3 Jonah 1 1 to 3 the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for a port. After pray, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And Jonah 3, 1 to 3 says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh to proclaim the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Amazing. I'm excited to welcome Helen, today's speaker. Uh, Helen is a member of our church. She's done a preach it before, but this is her first real preach. So, no, I'm just kidding, not real preach, sorry. Her first full-length preach, you know. Her first motion picture preach. We're very excited to, to welcome her and, and to hear from her this evening. Helen is an expert on this because she knows a lot about living in a whale. So that's why we've invited her to preach on Jonah this evening. Helen, can I welcome you to the stage? Good evening. Good evening. When you hear my accent, you'll understand the whale joke. Because um, out of context, it doesn't. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to those online watching. Maybe it's good morning as well, if you're catching up. So I'm really excited to be here with you this evening and to be starting this three-part series on Jonah. So um, as Josh said, my name's Helen. The sun is glaring in my eyes. So I'm going to stand this way just a little bit. Um, and I do, I live in Newport, just over the bridge in Wales. Does anybody want to guess how long it took me to get home this morning after the service? No? Yes, it did take me an hour and a half to get home. Well done. It did take me exactly an hour and a half to get home because the M4 was closed. So that was good fun. Um, so yes, my husband Andrew and I have been here in St. Nick's for about two and a half years, and we have three children, all boys, um, but I'll mention them in a little bit because they make great illustrations. Um, so we're going to start, and I'm going to require some audience participation right off the bat. And if you're at home watching, you can do this with whoever you are with. Um, can we get the chapter one verse back up on the screen, please? Now, I want us to think about this again. And I want you to either consider to yourself or to the people around you, what's your initial reaction to Jonah's running away from the Lord? How do you view it? I'll give you a couple of seconds to chat.
maybe, maybe your opinions are, do you know what? Fair enough. Good on Jonah. I, have, I don't blame it at all. Maybe you're a bit like me and just go, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Thinking you can outrun God, really. I mean, we've all done that at some point, though, haven't we? Either way, this short but sweet book of Jonah, um, in this, God has a message to share, and he will do it by any means possible. Jonah and the whale may be a story that you are very familiar with. Maybe you've heard it growing up, but we're going to take some time over the next couple of weeks to really dig into it and dig into how we can learn from this message in our own lives. Maybe you've known God for years. Maybe you've only known him for a little bit of time. And maybe actually you're sat here tonight and you don't know him at all. But again, we want this next few weeks to reveal a little bit more of who God is to you and for you. So we're going to start at the very beginning because I've been told it's a very good place to start. So we're going to set the scene and we're going to take a little look at who Jonah is to begin with. Now, again, you may be familiar with Jonah, but you may be just familiar with the kind of fairy tale concept of Jonah, the the story, the fable that is Jonah. But we've read it in chapter one just there, and we start at the very beginning of chapter one, and I don't know about you, but I feel like we're thrown into this narrative. And actually, I have no idea who Jonah is. I have no concept of who Jonah is because it doesn't set that scene for me. So let me introduce him to you, and we're going to have a slide up on the screen now. Now, this is not Jonah. I just want to clarify in case anyone's confused. This, does anyone know who this is? This will really split the room this evening. It is Scylla Black. It is Scylla Black. Now, for me, OG dating TV program. Okay, you can keep all your Love Islands and you can keep all your um, Take Me Out. Blind Date is the original. She was the host, it's the original and the best. So I thought tonight, maybe I could introduce Jonah to you by way of kind of a dating profile and see how you feel about him. So we have Jonah. Jonah is an Israelite known for his love of his nation, a longing to see it gain land and power. Jonah can boast of a friendship with a king and giving him wisdom and encouragement. Jonah loves to travel to far off places. He dreams of a time where Israel's enemies can be defeated and he can live out the days in the shade of his plant. Now, you may need to wait for a couple of the other weeks to maybe get to the plant part of Jonah's story. But that's a little cliffhanger. No pressure, Matt, but someone's got to mention the plant now. So we have a little, albeit silly, introduction to Jonah. But let's dig properly, deeply into who he is. Now, Jonah is one of the prophetic books in the Bible. But unlike the other prophetic books in the Bible, we are actually drawn into this narrative focusing on Jonah himself. Whereas other prophets and prophetic books in the Bible actually focus on the words God speaks and who he speaks them to. And usually that's the Israelites. So again, this book is strange because for the first time up to this point, we actually have God sending people out to go and speak to a Gentile nation. Now, Jonah doesn't have a real introduction into his book. And that's because it's assumed that the Hebrew audience would actually know who Jonah was already because Jonah was a prophet under a king. Now, he may not be known for all great reasons. So Jonah was a prophet at the time of King Jeroboam II. 
Now, King Jeroboam, there's several kings of Israel, and King Jeroboam's not one of the great ones. He's, he's a bit harsh, he rules with might and with power, and is actually quite severe. And we see Jonah first appear in 2 Kings 14, where Jonah offers encouragement to this king. He's like, yes, this is great. Israel will gain land and power and wealth and renown. And actually, this is in contrast to two other prophets at the time. Amos and Hosea actually are critical of King Jeroboam's ways. They feel him unjust, and they feel that he's callous in his ways. So this tells us a little something of who Jonah is, how much Jonah deeply loves Israel, and that's going to be important as we look further. So whilst Jonah's prophecy in part comes to be, we see that Israel does gain land and power and might, but... They have a powerful enemy to the north, Assyria, and it's unmatched in might, in wealth, in resource. And this is where we find Jonah at the start of the book. A few decades after this prophetic encouragement to this brutal king, Jonah is being called to give a message from God to the capital of Israel's enemy. So what about Nineveh then? We've had a little snapshot of Jonah. What about Nineveh? So I think we've got a map here that will give us a little bit of idea of the Mediterranean and where it is. So Nineveh's at the top on your right. Sorry, I'm not very good with lefts and rights <laughs> on the right. And we can see that actually it's not that far because we see at the start that Jonah gets a ticket in Joppa down here. And you think, right, okay, so Nineveh, he's not, God's not even calling him that far away. But in Jonah's wisdom, he decides, no, no, no. I'm going to go to Tarshish, which is one of the hardest words to say, I discovered this morning, especially when you have a mild lisp like I do. So he decides to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, too many times I've said it, is actually, to the Israelites, the end of the world. It's the end of their known world. They don't know that a world beyond that place exists. So when Jonah hears the call of God, he decides, sure, I could go quite close to home, or I could run to the other end of the earth. And that is the way Jonah takes it. Now, I'm guessing that it's also slightly more expensive. So we can assume that Jonah's not considering a cost of living crisis at the time. Where we decide whether we're going to drive or cycle or walk somewhere, Jonah decides it's, it's worth the cost. So this is an extreme reaction. Now, I can be dramatic at the best of times, um, and my husband would fully agree. Um, you can see it reflected in my children. So when we're stuck in traffic, when we were stuck in traffic on the way home today, oof, thankfully, two out of three of them were asleep for some of it. But when Finley woke up, he was like, no, it's been forever. We're never going to get home. I just want to go to bed. We're like, it's still the afternoon, bud. And he's like that, oh, but it feels like it's nighttime. We've been stuck for so long. And he obviously gets that from me. So Nineveh, was the cultural, military hub of Assyrian Empire. Now, Assyria wasn't just any old enemy of Israel's, of which we know there were many over the years. But Assyria was brutal. Its torture was extreme. The way it treated anyone they took over was horrific and renowned. And it led them to actually be deemed a terrorist state. Now, Nineveh would have been the hive of populist activity, ideas, and powerful in almost every way. 
On top of that, it was massive. And we saw that in that Jonah chapter 3 reading, that it actually took three days to walk through. And this just amplifies that picture of its might and its strength. So what was God thinking? Having looked at who Jonah is, this, this guy who loves Israel, who just wants to see it grow in power, and we see what Nineveh is, the heart of Israel's enemy nation, Surely, God could have picked someone more suited. Maybe someone with a heart for Nineveh. Someone who actually wanted to see them receive good news. So initially, we can look at Jonah's response and think of him as foolish or silly and trying to run from God's plan. Because as we read this book, it seems crazy to think you can outrun God. But Jonah tried. But the issue was that it didn't make any practical sense for Jonah. Why on earth would Jonah willingly walk into enemy territory? But it also didn't make any theological sense to Jonah. Why is God sending a message of mercy and hope into the enemy land? Why would he want to see these brutish, brutal rulers find hope and safety? In chapter 1, we see, I'm just going to read it again, but Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing. Now, ultimately, would I do it? And that was the question I kind of asked you at the beginning. How do we feel about how Jonah responds? But would I do it? If God called me to somewhere I wasn't particularly keen on going, Am I going to jump in it? Or am I going to question whether he said it right? Am I going to go, oh God, when you said Bliner, now this is a little town in Wales, when you said Bliner, did you mean Bermuda? Because those are very different places. And one of them I'm more likely to willingly hop towards. No offense to Bliner. But the core of Jonah's reaction, it wasn't simply fear. It was a lack of trust in God. He failed to see beyond his own impulse, his own ideologies, and he failed to trust that God, that God's love was at work through mercy. Initially, Jonah couldn't see any logical reason for this kind of love to be shown. But then in chapter 3, we see a different Jonah. In verse 2 and 3, it says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Now, Jonah's attempts to run away from God resulted in a storm, almost drowning, then spending three days in the belly of a fish or a whale. But God made space for Jonah, and God showed him mercy. It resulted in him being able to then show mercy to others and respond to God's call. And it's very similar to what Jesus' life and death demonstrates to us. God's teaching of mercy and grace through Jesus. He guided his followers, his disciples, to do the same. To not just show mercy and love to those that they knew and had favor with, but to their enemies and to those that they didn't care about. In Matthew 5 verse 7 it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So that's Jonah and that's Nineveh. But what about us? What are your thoughts now on Jonah's reaction? Now we know where he was being called into. 
we can see maybe how his reaction makes a little bit more sense. It's a bit more reasonable. So who are you? Now, how you react to situations will be greatly different to how I would react to a situation. We're incredibly different, all of us. The person sat next to you is not going to respond to the call on your life the same way you would. Now, I said I was going to mention my kids, and here we go. Now, kids are a great way of showing differences. They have the same parents, they've grown up in the same house, but they're incredibly different. Now, my boys read this over my shoulder yesterday as I was going over it, and they're like, why are we mentioned? I'm like, because you made a great illustration. Um, so I've got three boys, all different ages, and all incredibly different. Now, Griff is only eight months old, so I have no clue who he is really. He's very loud, he's very busy, he doesn't stop moving when he's awake, doesn't stop moving when he's asleep either. But I don't really know quite how that personality is going to come out quite yet. And then I've got Lucas. Lucas is eight, almost nine, slash 45. <laughs> and he is Captain Sensible. He loves to understand how the world works. He asks a thousand questions, but why did that happen? Why did he say that? I can't have the news on with him because we get into political debates. <laughs> you know, like... What happened with Boris Johnson? What parties did he go to? I think he deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves a second chance. And we go through this whole thing. He's just, that's just the way his head works. We had a massive debate about that, by the way. Anyway, and Finn is five. Now, Finn is classic second child. How many second children do we have in the room? Oh, quite, quite a few. And you will understand what I mean. I'm also a second child, by the way, so this is in no way a criticism. Finn has a compulsion. He has to touch everything in sight. And I'm not overstating this. Everything. Even to the point when he read this and I told him what it said, he was like, I don't, I don't touch everything. Whilst flicking through my Bible and inserting different things into different pages that he's found in the room. I'm like, Finn, how many things have you just touched in the last five seconds? He's like, um quite a few. Yes, exactly. So with him, I have to say to him, before we go in anyway, don't touch anything. Put your hands in your pockets. This is the conversation outside Sainsbury's on almost a daily basis. Now I do it with this mum way of doing it. I do it with a smile because we're in public, but I've got the eyes and the voice of a dictator. <laughs> but does it make a difference? No. No, it doesn't. He still walks in, runs his hands down each and every single aisle that we go down. And during COVID times, which I think we're maybe still in, um, it's been a nightmare because then I have to hand gel his hands and he doesn't like that. So it's all a big thing. But out of the two of them, I'm forgetting Griff for a second, out of Lucas and Finn, who am I most likely to send into a china shop? It's incredibly obvious. It's Lucas. If I say, look, I can't come in. I need you to go in and buy this mug for me. I believe he can do it. Finn has every chance he's going to destroy everything in there and it's going to cost me hundreds of pounds to get a single thing. My point is it's important that we know ourselves. When we're thinking of God's call on our lives, when we're looking at Jonah in this, it's important that we know where our inclinations lie. How do we react to situations? What's our natural default? 
but also how does God speak to us? How does God speak to you? Is it by visions and pictures? Is it by words of encouragement by other people? Is it by reading your Bible? Is it by writing a song or a poem? Like, how does God speak to you? Because this matters as well. For example, um, a couple of years ago in our previous church, um, my husband and I, we took a youth group on a youth conference in Swansea. This was about 14 years ago. And, I mean, it was interesting for many reasons when you take like 30 youth away. But we were away and the leaders of this conference were doing workshops for different things. So how could we stretch out in our faith a little more? Now, by nature, I'm actually quite a shy, um, anxious person. And so I thought, what could I do that's going to stretch my faith? I know. I'm going to join the team that's going to go out into the mean streets of Swansea and take visions and pictures to unsuspecting strangers. I thought that would be perfect because I can't think of anything I would rather do less. Maybe go to Blyner. No, I'm only joking. And so I can remember the room I'm sat in and we're, we're practicing doing listening prayers and we're practicing and we're asking God for pictures. And I can remember vividly getting a picture of this, this lady who's in her late 40s, early 50s, and I can still see her in my mind's eye today. And she was wearing a white blouse with red flowers all over it. And I just felt God saying she's got stomach issues. And so off we went into Swansea. Saturday afternoon, quite busy. We're walking around. And we're out for quite a long time. And I feel God's mercy descend on me. And the relief set in that I haven't yet seen this woman. And I thought, Do you know what? God is rewarding me. Because I've stepped out in faith. I've done something I'm not comfortable with. And he's rewarding me by not making me do it. And uh, it was a wonderful moment. And then... Five minutes before we were going to head back to the church because we had to go and do something else. I don't know what it was. There she was, walking straight towards me. And I thought, God, couldn't you have just sent her into a shop just for five minutes? Like, five minutes was all I had left. So, it's tough. It's in front of me. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. So, I walk up to her and I'm like, hi. I know this is going to sound strange, but I'm at a church conference in a church just up the road, and I got a picture of you that God gave me, and you can just see her face drop. Like, oh my goodness, what have I walked into? Why didn't I go into that shop? And, and I say to her, look, I had a picture of you, and I just really felt God saying to me that you've got some stomach problems, and then her face changed. And she was like, oh, actually, I do. I'm awaiting test results. And I was like, oh, crikey. You know, when it actually happens, you've got the faith, but you're still surprised. And I said, oh, would you mind if I prayed with you? And she was like, no, thank you. I was like, okay. I was like, well, just so you know, I'll be praying for you. I have no idea what happened to those test results. I have no idea what happened to her. But I stretched myself incredibly thinly to do that. But the great thing is, as much as it's important for us to know ourselves, to know our inclinations, to know how we choose to react, to know how God speaks to us, the great and the beautiful news is that God knows us, that God loves us. He knows you and he loves you. And at the heart of God's word, at the heart of God's word and the call on our lives is love. God's call to Jonah, the heart of that word was love. It wasn't an act of punishment. But it was love for Nineveh and love for Jonah. A love that was so great that it was willing to overlook all the errors and offer a chance for change 
and reform. So just now I said to you, who out of Finn and Lucas am I going to send into a china shop? And we unanimously, I think we can say, agreed that it was Lucas. But who would grow more from the opportunity from doing that? If Lucas came out of that shop having not destroyed it, that would just be an average day for him. But if I gave Finley the chance to go in and he kept his hands in his pockets and he went in, he would grow more by going in and coming back out having not destroyed the shop than Lucas would. He would have come out with a big beaming smile on his face, so proud of himself that he had achieved what seems unthinkable for him. And sometimes that's us with God. Sometimes he gives us those opportunities to grow. And it seems like we're the absolute wrong person for the job at hand. But we will grow more because of it. So God makes space for us. He invites us into this narrative with him. He shows us mercy to build up our faith and our capacity. You see, Jonah isn't just a narrative. It's, a, it's not just a prophecy. It's a story of mercy and love. God's faith made space for Jonah to change. Not to change who he was, but to change his perspective. God knows who you are and he's not asking you to change who you are because he loves you as you are. But there may be places where your perspective needs to change. God made space for Nineveh to receive mercy and to change from its ways. So what next? What can we do on a day-to-day -day basis with this information? How can we put this into some sort of practice? Now, I've got another throwback slide. And again, this will be a test of the room. Can we have the next slide up? Does anyone remember the road safety hedgehogs? I don't know why I've taken a trip down memory lane today, but I have. And it's this message. Stop, look, listen, live. Now, Jonah was forced to stop. Because, as I understand, there's not a lot to do in the belly of a whale for three days. Unlike whales, if you come to Wales, there's loads to do for three days. I'm not working for the Welsh Government or anything, but that's, that's true. And if I was, I'd have to say it in Welsh, and I can't. So, Jonah was forced to stop. He was forced to look at himself, to look at where he'd found himself, but to look at who God was. Who did he know God to be? He could have drowned in that shipwreck, but he didn't. God showed him mercy. He was able to listen again to the call. And then he was able to choose, despite his personal objections, to follow that call, to live out that call. So sometimes we just need to stop. We need to take a minute. We need to take a breath. We need to shut out the world and stop. Sometimes we need to just look at ourselves, look at where we are, look at what's surrounding us, where, what workplace are you in, what friendship group are you in, we need to look, we need to look at ourselves, we need to look at those that are around us, and we need to look at God, maybe that means studying his word a bit more, and we need to listen, we need to pray, we need to ask God for clarity, we need to ask him for courage, we need to ask him for opportunities, and ask him to speak. We need to make space for God. We need to get familiar with him again. We need to recognize his voice and learn the ways in which he talks to us. And then we need to live out that calling. We don't actually have to wait to be called. Now, some of you in here may be seeking 
a, an answer to something, a, a calling into something. Maybe you've been through a wilderness time. Maybe you feel you actually are in the belly of that fish right now, and you're just seeking that calling that's coming, but you have been called. We've all been called. Sometimes those very specific ones come, but we've all been called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we stop, as we look, as we listen, and as we live, just as Jonah did, we can see transformation come through God's word. So I'm just going to pray to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today. We thank you for your word to Jonah. And we thank you that you call each one of us by your word. Help us to stop, to look, to listen, and to live as you call us anew each day. Amen.